Hey, stranger! The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Arkells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about the piece of culture that's most inspired them. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up momentarily, you'll hear my utterly delightful, and uh, I am totally unbiased here, so you can believe me, and my utterly delightful conversation with comedian Joyelle Johnson about her love for one of the giants of cinema history, Gone with the Wind. Joyelle is... A gold star guest. My favorite kind. She's funny, obviously, because she's a comic. She's super smart. Very easy to talk to. Uh, I love it when the conversation flows so well that it just happens naturally, and that was very much the case. We talked about Gone with the Wind being a giant spectacle full of drama, which it is. Uh, we also talked about the historical significance, and we get a little bit into some political discussion. Um, we actually spoke in November after the general election, but before the Georgia runoffs. So we were both a little anxious about the then upcoming Georgia Senate runoffs, but I can now tell past me and past Joyelle that it all worked out. In fact, by the time you hear this podcast, we'll probably have a new president and vice president too. Uh, hopefully there are no more violent insurrection attempts at the Capitol. Please, no more bad stuff. Thank you. Anyway, uh, let's jump on over to the good stuff, shall we? Quick Joyelle facts. Joyelle Nicole Johnson is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actress. You may have seen her on the final season of HBO's Crashing or on Late Night with Seth Meyers. She was also the warm-up comic for Hasan Minhaj's Patriot Act on Netflix. And she wrote for the final season of Broad City. Quick Gone with the Wind facts. Gone with the Wind is a 1939 American epic historical romance film adapted from the 1936 novel by Margaret Mitchell. It is set in the American South against the backdrop of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction Era. The film tells the story of Scarlett O'Hara, a strong-willed daughter of a Georgia plantation owner. It follows her romantic pursuit of Ashley Wilkes, who is married to his cousin, Melanie Hamilton. That's very, uh, Rudy Giuliani. And her subsequent marriage to Rhett Butler. The leading roles were played 
played by Vivian Lee and Clark Gable, with support from Hattie McDaniel, who Joyelle and I discuss a bit, and Olivia de Havilland. Gone with the Wind was immensely popular when first released. It became the highest earning film made up until that point, and held that record for over a quarter of a century. When adjusted for monetary inflation, it is still the highest grossing film in history. Although the film has been criticized as historical revisionism glorifying slavery, it has also been credited with triggering changes in the way in which African Americans are depicted cinematically. So there you have it. This is such a great chat. Seriously, you're in for a treat. So without further ado, here comes my chat with Joyelle Johnson about Gone with the Wind. So Gone with the Wind. Yes. Uh, do you remember seeing it for the first time? I do remember seeing it for the first time. I was in sixth grade and my sixth grade teacher did a whole entire like week she was my English teacher. She did about a week on Gone with the Wind and she made me fall in love with the movie and we watched it in class. And I don't know if you you ever get that feeling in class. Movies are always just less thrilling in class. Like something about being in the class makes the movie boring, but not that one for me. I was just like, oh, giant dresses. So sixth grade, sometime in sixth grade in Union, New Jersey. Did you watch it all in one sitting uh, or was it a, like a multi-day experience? Because that's a long movie. Oh, yeah, baby. We're talking almost four hours there. So I think if she spent a week on it, we we watched it that whole week, probably. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. In like, class. Uh, yeah. Pieces every day. Yeah. 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 Like little episodes, which yeah. you can break it down into a mini series for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how many times do you think you've seen it? Oh, my goodness. Um, at full, full, front mm. to back, I would say at least, maybe at least a dozen. I'm just trying to be um, practical. I think if, if I'm being <laughs> yeah. practical about a dozen times from front to back, but watching little snippets, you know, yeah, way yeah. more than that. Yeah. Um, what do you like after having watched it as a kid? Do you remember coming back to it as an adult or was it like a, you know, ongoing you just kept watching it and it really stuck with you well i had different iterations of it so it's like the first time i saw it my teacher had this video and then i saw it on tv probably was sick one day home from school and then my family knew i loved it so much um my stepmom bought me my own vhs copy of it and then i remember when i was living in california they came out with the four disc DVD set and they were pumping it like on the Warner Brothers sound stage. And I was like, oh, can't wait to get that. So yeah, it's been a progression my whole life of just having different iterations of owning it and yeah. seeing it different places. Yeah. And I, like, I guess going back to what you're saying about like watching movies in school, I think it, it, for me at least, it kind of depended on the context. Like Sometimes we would have days where it was like, a, uh, you know, there was a holiday coming up and they'd play a movie that was like, you know, a Halloween movie for Halloween. And those times it was all fun and it was like right. nothing to do with learning. So you could just relax. Right. But definitely if there's any kind of I, I kind of hated school and um, having to like really engage or like try to learn something from a movie. I really loved watching yeah. movies, but I, I didn't want anybody else to dictate to me what they were supposed to mean or or you have um, to take a test 
Like if I have to right. take a test about this, it's just taking the fun out of it. <laughs> like, totally. oh, I'm, I'm going to forget that they said that specific thing and that's going to matter for the test later. It's like I can't enjoy it. So, yeah, it just takes some of the enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And I guess that's more what I mean is like, I love, I love learning. I just hate having to prove what I've learned. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like, I got this. Just trust me. I know. Um, right. uh, but um, yeah. Do you like, can you remember specific things about the movie that were appealing? Is it just like, there's, it's such a, um, you know, an icon of, yes. uh, in the film industry and just culturally yes. at large. It's this very, very famous, um, you know, so- something that many, many people have a, a relationship to. But like, what what was your personal connection to it that really kind of drew you to it? Honestly, it's very basic. I'm a basic bitch. Uh, big ass, <laughs> big ass dresses. That's it. Big, gigantic dresses. I would put on all of my skirts in the house and twirl around the house acting like I was at a ball. Um, a lot of people will always say to me, they're like, but there's slaves in the movie. And I'm just like, yeah, it's a movie about the Civil War. So you're gonna have slavery like that. I think would have been much weirder if they just had omitted slavery from the movie. That would have been really, really weird. Um, so yeah, I think it was like the cultural um, impact for me because I am a descendant of slaves. So I appreciated them being sensitive. I felt like they were being as sensitive as Hollywood could in 1939 to mm. the situation and. I just really appreciated it. So big, big old dresses and seeing black people on the screen, even if we were in a subservient sense. Um, Hattie McDaniel did win an Oscar for that. And she said that she would rather play a maid than be one. And I was like, you right, girl. (laughs) You are right. (laughs) So we got to start somewhere. Right, right. And even for, you know, a role that's, I don't don't think thankless is is necessarily the right uh, word, but, you know, a supporting character who her job is really to literally and figuratively assist the people, uh, yes. that, you know, the star players, but she holds her own. I mean, she won an Oscar for a reason. Yeah. And the moral compass of it. And just like, I loved how she would talk to Scarlett, like let, let her know all these people think you're yeah. cute, but I know you ain't shit. Can we cuss? I've cussed a couple of times. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Please. The more, the more swearing, the merrier. That's what I say. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I think uh, in some ways to me, the story, the context is very important. The fact that the, the setting, the time period is very important. But there's also the core story that can kind of be divorced from that context. Like if the story had happened in a different time period, yes. you could still have this like spoiled rich woman mm-hmm. who is in love you know, with a dude who's right. never gonna love her and mm-hmm. chasing the wrong things in life and i honestly i scarlett o'hara is one of my favorite characters in um cinema history and i guess you would say favorite just characters of all time just because she was an unapologetic bitch the entire time and her arc just stayed pretty like stayed pretty smooth throughout the thing and she just was like true to character the whole time that like her and Rhett being honest that we we ain't shit and and guess what we gonna get this money I really I really appreciated that about her because I was I was like a mousy child I wasn't as confident as I am now 
But um, <laughs> I, I looked up to that, like a woman that could just say whatever she wanted, even in times when women especially weren't supposed to be saying what they wanted. So that's yeah. also why I like the movie, because both her and Mammy would say what they wanted in a time when no one wanted to listen to women speak. Yeah. So. I- and, you know, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, for a movie that's almost 100 years old, but um, just... Uh, Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, the, the fury, the fury from How dare you? all the listeners. Yeah, yeah, my, uh, this podcast is over. Um, but the, what was I going to say? Uh, it's going to spoil something. You're going to talk about a dead kid. Oh, or... just the ending. <laughs> yeah. that it's not like, it's not like, a, obviously not a happy ending. Right. But... In a lot of ways, Scarlett does get what she's been looking for. You know, it's mostly about stability, power, uh, status, all of those things. And her relationship with Rhett, it's like, even though she's asking him to stay at the end, there's been that kind of push and pull the whole time. And it's like, if he had turned around and said, okay, I don't think it would all of a sudden be a fairy tale ending. It's like, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. Cause they, I mean, they, the grief at the end of that, it's like, they still have to move on to b- grieving their child. Like they didn't even get a chance to grieve their child at the end because someone else died. And then he was like, you know what? I'm leaving all of this. So I, I do kind of like the chaos at the end of it to where we're like, Oh no, what happened? What happened? Yeah. And you just get to infer for yourself what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's that big question mark of, again, whether it's going to carry on in the same way where it is just like this cyclical thing, this kind of toxic relationship. Yes, where so toxic. They're, you know, co- codependency and... But made uh, for each other. To- totally, like both of them. I think in some ways Scarlet gets a um, has gets a bad rap because it's like all of the, the uh, pressure of uh, or all of the pe- people perceive her as the giant asshole, but I think Rhett is a pretty big asshole too, and they're oh, for kind sure. of an even match. He's just more charming. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Like he's able to charm himself through it, but he was an, a literal war profiteer. Like right. he's like a Dick Cheney type of a person, where you're just like, you know, selling arms. So yeah, he was a pretty terrible person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, this, it, it's such a grand film. I mean, you're talking about big dresses. I think, like, everything seems big. And, yeah. And, you know, for its time, it was this enormous expense, like, super huge. huge undertaking. Yeah, um, and I am one of the, because, of course, I, the documentary about it and everything surrounding the movie, I'm as well obsessed with. And one of the things one of the younger sisters um, noticed was that, under her dress, she had real silk, like her her undercoat was silk. And she said to the, the the producer, like, you know, only I can see this. Like, why are you spending so much money? And he told her, he's like, you are the rich daughter of a plantation owner. You know it's there. So I want you to be able to know that it's there so that you can put that into your role. And I was like, okay. I appreciated that, but they they spared no expense. I mean, I think they almost went broke making it. They made their money back, but Selznick Selznick spent all his money. (laughs) Yeah. And I've also heard it referred to as a uh, producer's film rather than a director's film because it kind of went through a few directors and it's like Selznick 
Uh, yes. You know, David O. Selznick, a very uh, notorious and in, um, infamous Hollywood producer, had more control than anybody else. And, yeah. and, had, and he's f- the one who had the vision. Yeah, yeah. And and the difference between like George Cukor was one of the first directors versus Victor Fleming, who, who wrapped up the film for the most part. And like Scarlett, Vivian Lee was talking about like the difference between how she loved George and he was so sweet and everything. And then Victor was like an asshole. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, the vibe that George was just like this fabulous you know, gay guy, (laughs) just sensitive gay man. And then you bring in this jerk. And she was like, oh, she hated working with him. Uh, Yeah, I think that's so interesting too, like firing directors, bringing new ones in. But even for like a chaotic thing like that, I think you you would probably need an alpha male, like a Victor Fleming, who's like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Because they're not going to have feelings about it. But I also want to be held sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It also, I mean, I know it's a very different Hollywood than to what it is now. But mm-hmm. right now, if you hear a story about a director being replaced mid-shoot, almost always that movie is going to fail or it's going to suck. Right. And so thinking about having, I don't know how that would have been perceived at the time, but um, thinking that it may have you know, set off alarm bells, especially with the enormous cost of the movie and stuff and having it not just work out, but to this day, you know, adjusted for inflation, it's still the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> they they did something right. Uh, all of the, the cogs turned in the right direction. I yes. Guess. They all came together, surprisingly. And it took so long to shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just watched it on uh, HBO Max and they have this like remastered digital version of it that's like it's so clear it's so wait I thought they took it off I thought the people boycotted it did they They, put it back on they took it off and then they put it back on and it's got a little disclaimer in the front oh yeah um, (laughs) what does the disclaimer say it's, I mean, it's it's actually very well done. It's about a five-minute thing. There's a, a film scholar named Jacqueline Stewart. Who's, Is she uh, black? Um, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, and she just provides context. And it's all, like, very not necessarily giving an opinion, just saying... This is what it was. Right. This is what it Yes. It was 1939, first of all. Mm -hmm. And it's about a movie that takes place in the 1850s and 60s. So. Right. And also talking about how people perceived the novel Mm -hmm. and the fact that uh, David Selznick was very aware of how black people felt about the representation of black people in the novel and had concerns about how black people are going to be portrayed in the movie and having conversations with the NAACP mm-hmm. and like really uh, trying to be sensitive. An enormous amount, yeah. And just get, getting an enormous amount of pressure to try and uh, listen to black voices and have black voices be a part of the conversation when they're creating this, you know, huge, huge thing. Um, so some of that, and then talking about the reaction kind of, since the film's release and um but yeah really really well balanced and i think that's so much better than just like just so you know this movie (laughs) is 
seen as racist. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so. I'm the racist part to me. I mean, I guess I get it, but any depiction of slavery, you could consider it that way, unless it's made, I guess, unless it's made by black people. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the line is there because for me, I just, I feel like you're telling a story about history. Mm-hmm. You're telling a story about history. You have to include us like versus the crown. The crown is a new show and they in their fourth season. We just seeing black people in London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we um, was in there at the beginning of her reign. I'm pretty sure, but they didn't include any black people in that. So yeah. I'm like, that's worse than me than, than this 1939 movie. Right. And I like, I think the thing that this little disclaimer video at the beginning of the film does is that the most important thing is providing context and saying, not just talking about the way that people feel about it now, the mm-hmm. way that people felt about it then, and also talking about just the way that black people were portrayed on film at that time. At that, that time it, it period. Like, yes. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I guess it's helpful, but it's also like, who the fuck doesn't know all of this stuff about Gone with the Wind when they're watching it now? Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. hello, you'd be surprised. People <laughs> have Exactly. Because yeah. I'm saying, like, I mean, more people voted for him this time. More people voted yeah. for him this time. More people voted for him this time. So I guess we can't be surprised anymore. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, I don't know. I just... But before we uh, started talking, was reading that New York State now there's a Democratic supermajority in the Senate and uh, state government, so it means they can oh, override nice. override Cuomo's vetoes and stuff. So hopefully, there's lots of progressive stuff that's going to happen here. But just like the country as a whole, yes. Oh, it's, I'm so exhausted. Oh yeah, I mean, I moved. Um, I left Brooklyn during the pandemic, and I am now in Fulton County, Georgia. So, um, A, you're welcome to the rest of the country, <laughs> but also B, let's hope we get another you're welcome for January 5th. So, Oh my God, I know. I'm down here because every single vote is going to count. Every vote. Oh my gosh, it's going down to the wire. So pray for us. Yeah, I've been uh, spending my weekends texting for a uh, fair fight. So we'll, we'll yes. see, you know. <laughs> Stacey Abrams. Oh, God. <laughs> I've yeah. been getting those texts. I've been getting those texts. Yeah, I was yeah. Um, I was very impressed. I, you know, Asif ran before, um, but Warnock for me, when I saw that he's a reverend, I immediately, you know, I was like eyebrow raised. Mm-hmm. And then I specifically went on his website and it was just like abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, you know. So I was like, all right, he's cool with me. <laughs> and we're have down you... here in Atlanta. Right. And have you seen his commercials? So like, cute. Like puppies, puppies. Jesus. Like, <laughs> so puppies. adorable. Yeah. He's such a cutie. <sighs> I love him so much. Yeah. So we're really hoping down here because that's it's so important. It's so important. And it's yeah. so much context. Like I showed um, my boyfriend, we moved down here together and I showed him Gone with the Wind for the first time last week. And it was just interesting watching it for the first time in Atlanta, you know, mm. and being like, oh, this took place around here and the burning of Atlanta, like imagining the city burning and having to get out to someplace further, you know, just an interesting context. Yeah. And I, I, 
all of that stuff, the kind of particulars of the history of the Civil War, thinking about like people hearing murmuring of war coming and then people living through the war and then dealing with the aftermath that I think this yeah. film gives you little glimpses of like the reality of people dealing with that situation. Cause you know, outside of that the civil war, but we don't know what it's like to have mm-hmm. war on our doorstep in this country. Yeah. Um, so in the modern world, like, you know, we hear about wars happening in other places, but I think having that depiction of like war happening in our own country is like really kind of, I don't know, it, it hit home a little harder than um, it has in, in other war movies for me. It completely does. And for me, especially because I've always been just like a low key, just go bag haver. You know, I have a go bag. It's packed with things, first aid kits, stuff like that. And I watch certain things like Handmaid's Tale. And I think about like, when is it time to leave? You know? And there was a point in Handmaid's Tale in the first season when they were doing the backtracking to when everything happened, when they started shooting the protesters, I was like, okay, that's when she could have gone to Canada. And Gone with the Wind, it was the same thing because they, people were leaving Atlanta and there was a point where she waited too long to leave. So I'm always in that mindset of like, when is it too late to leave? Because all, you know, everything has been so crazy happening. And that was one of the things when I moved out of Brooklyn, I was like, I'm going to move just to get a little space, a little space, a little more space Mm. and need to know when it's time to leave. That's why you got to watch these apocalypse war movies. Yeah. Oh my God. Watching Handmaid's Tale during the last you know, few years, the having like the juxtaposition of the reality of the Trump presidency, and then yeah, seeing stuff that's like exactly the same happening at the you know this is this is how it started in the Handmaid's Tale. Yes, like, oh, yeah, it's God. like oh my God, she's a prophet, and I just I just don't want to be stuck looking stupid. Like I should have left three months ago. I could I could have snuck into Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, I will leave. I'm not one of those people that talks about it. Yeah, yeah. If he would have got elected um, again, I would have left. I was I was making plans for Amsterdam or Rotterdam or something like that. Yeah, I uh my husband's English and I'm a dual citizen, so we were like saying we'll either move there. He has an Irish passport as well because his mom's Irish, so like move to Dublin or something just like leave. Yes. Um, yeah. But, Everyone I know with a dual uh passport, I'm like, "Why are you here now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the UK is like a, a diet version of what's happening. Basically, there, you know? yeah. Boris crazy. Boris, Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He crazy. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think um, all, all of that, all of the kind of turmoil that's happening in the country, watching Gone with the Wind, it's like thinking about. Obviously, slavery was this huge very very divisive issue that it's like you're either for it or you're against it and there's not really any gray area and it had completely divided the country but thinking about some of the issues that the country is divided about now and feeling like there are distinct parallels it it does feel like you know we're living on a knife edge yeah yeah because women's reproductive rights it's it's a that's a way of control like that's a specific mm-hmm. control if you're against abortion but you're also against comprehensive sexual education and things like that you're you want to control women you want them to stay poor you want them to be able to you know have these kids and not be able to you know step up in society so it's like 
that's a that's a form of a slavery to me. Handmaids, mm-hmm. handmaids, that would be slavery to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I wouldn't be a good handmaid, y'all. I tell everybody, don't choose me. <laughs> yeah, and also just like this, whatever fifty, sixty year reaction to like the liberation of birth control and just yes. saying that women not only should have the government or, you know, whoever, religious institutions or whoever the Republican assholes in charge think should be the person who decides for them whether they can have, uh, whether they have a baby or not, but just whether women should be able to enjoy sex. That part for sure. Yes, that part. Only, that's only for men. That's only for men. I just got insurance through the state. And the guy told me, he was like, your plan's great. You have no deductible. You get uh, medical, dental, vision, uh, substance abuse, and pregnancy aren't included. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Pregnancy is not included? And he was like, why? Are you trying to get pregnant? I was like, first of all, none of your business. But second of all, even if I was, what do you mean? He was like, oh, you'd have to get a different plan um, with a deductible of like 7000 He was just telling me all this stuff. And I was like... Whose decision was this? This was clearly a straight white man's decision that pregnancy wasn't going to be included. Something that's only going to affect women. But then you also don't want us to have abortions. So what? which one is it? Right. <laughs> which one is it? So ridiculous. Get me fired up. Yeah. Fired up on a Wednesday. Yeah. And now, you know, we just got to... Pin all our hopes on Joe and Kamala. And see, I know, uh, right? No, no pressure, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the balance, all of our livelihoods. Right. If you wouldn't mind fixing everything. Yes, just fix everything. Because the two of us would be strung up on the wall. We'd be, we'd be up on the wall. They'd be right. getting us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been so delightful. I have really, really enjoyed this. Um, thank you so much. This was oh, really, really fun. Thank you so much. And thank yeah. you for um, rescheduling because I'd be all no over the worries. place sometimes. I really appreciate that. And yeah, let me know when it's coming out and all that stuff. I will. Thank all right. You. Have a all great right. day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. See that was great, right? I told you the truth. Thanks again to Joyelle. Seek out her comedy. Follow her on the socials at Joyelle Nicole. Okay, quick cultural inspiration of the week for me. The new season of Search Party has started, and it is so fucking good. This show is so weird and so funny. This is the fourth season, and... It started out as a mystery about a missing person, and then it morphed into kind of a courtroom drama, and now has morphed back into a mystery about a missing person, a different missing person. Anyway, the whole cast is great. There are tons of famous faces popping up in cameos, too. But for my money, this season is all about Cole Escola. If you don't know, Cole is a comedian. You may recognize them from Difficult People on Hulu or at home with Amy Sedaris, but they are just so brilliant in Search Party. I've almost hurt myself several times from watching them ham it up in the first few episodes that have been released, and I cannot wait for more, so check that out. Uh, Oh, it's on HBO Max. That's vital information, too. Okay, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Tell all of your friends to subscribe to this show, because, hey, it's a good show, isn't it? So tell everyone! Thank you very much. Other than that... Congratulations on America's new president and vice president and Democratic senators. Stay home, wear a mask, and until next time, bye. 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.